There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sport. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Indeed it is, and a very special edition of The Grill live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Plenty of live sport. Okay, no Premier League action, I can guarantee you that. But we have got Euro qualifiers, we've got international friendlies, we've got Afghanistan against the West Indies, we've got European Champions Cup, we've got the Barbarians in action against Fiji. ATP finals in the world of tennis, the Ned Bank Challenge for you in the world of golf, uh, and of course, a very, very special guest. You might have heard this uh, promoted throughout the course of the weekend on social media and otherwise. Chelsea's most successful captain will be here live at Barasti within the next half an hour. Not only him, but also the UAE Chelsea Supporters Club with us uh, live and loud. There they are, over there. Uh, we'll have more from them a little later on in proceedings. So if you'd like to get yourself down here, if you're a Chelsea fan, if you're an England fan, if you're a Villa fan, we'd love to hear from you. Please do text us now on 4001. But equally, get yourself down here to Barassi. We're up here on the uh, uh, rooftop bar uh, down here at Barassi. Lots of live sports to look forward to. The grill panel coming away in just a few moments' time. So feel free to get your thoughts through to us. Text on 4001. You can have your say at Dubai I 1038FM, at Dubai I Sports, or at Rusty Beach. This is The Grill. We're live from Rusty, where the game is always on. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. This is The Grill. We're live down here at Barasti. We're up here on the uh, rooftop bar down at Barasti where the game is always on. Plenty to look forward to. Who to talk us through that? Then we have CVR alongside me. Carlos, good to see you. I, don't, I, I haven't seen you since the uh, World Cup final, have I? Yeah, it's been a while, Tom. You English supporters have been lying very low, should I rather <laughs> say, as we've been enjoying our walks around town. But yeah, good to be back on The Grill. And as you say, a very, very special edition of The Grill tonight at Barasti. Looking forward to meeting JT. So what's happening? Is that is that is that celebration tour still going on? It's still going on. We're going for the next four years, is, yeah. Tom. So uh, I'm, I, I was actually reading today. A lot of these players have to start reporting to the European clubs, uh, the likes of Sales Sharks and Toulon and so forth. So it'll be interesting to see when they finally arrive in Europe. But so far, that bus has been travelling around South Africa and it continues to travel. I see Johan Rupert had a massive bribe for all the boys on one of his mini wine farms uh, in the week so yeah celebrations still continue in the republic and as i say i think reason enough to do so not to to, to, to do away with it i mean from an english point of view it was bitterly disappointing obviously obviously but from a south african point of view i mean what does it mean for you that that victory what does it what does it mean for south africa i just think it it, it means that anything is possible you know 18 months or actually 12 months before the tournament we were ranked number seventh in the world and and i think you know it's it's for the unity of the nation, I think it just believes that if, if, somebody, if people believe in something and we all stand together, anything can be achieved. And I think, you know, Rassi doesn't get enough credit for that team, the way he put that together, of course. A lot of talk now about the bomb squad, but I think he kind of, from a coaching perspective, where just that little edge on it, and I think if you look overall as to, as to how the box played, I think that implementing with the 6-2 lineup of the, of the reserves really, really paid him dividends in that final. Is it? I mean, you're a realist. You, you, I mean, I've sat with you for however many years this is that we've been doing the grill together. But you've always talked about, you know, the, the highs and the lows of South African rugby. I mean, is this a, is this a, a changing moment for South African rugby or not? I think it, it is a changing moment, but I think the big thing with South Africa at the moment is still to keep the players in the country. I mean, there's yeah. something like 22 young schoolboys that have exodus that have made SA schools or played at provincial level at the Craven Week last year that are now exodus to the likes of, of France and the UK. And I think that's still going to be a, a big, big struggle. There, you know, it's 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 quite ripe in the press. Western Province Rugby Union is in is in financial trouble at the moment. So yeah, I think it's a step in the right direction, Tom. But I still believe there's a lot, lot to do. And the big thing for South African rugby now is how to retain these youngsters who actually play in South Africa. And Saracens in action a little later on. Obviously, they've got their own cloud over them at the moment. A huge South African influence in that Saracens team at the moment. Interesting to see how they go in the um, Champions Cup a little later on. Yeah, well, I mean, Saracens, depending on, on, on how the appeal goes at the moment, they'll be fighting relegation. You know, they, They've had those points deducted and so forth. I think Nigel Ray is quite a smart guy, and I believe that he'll hopefully be able to find a loophole to kind of get them get them back on track. But as you say, a lot of work for, for Saris to do. They, they are a quality outfit. It will be interesting to see how this is going to affect the performance 
performance of the team going further into the season. Robbie Greenfield also with us this evening. RG, thank you very much indeed for being with us here live on the grill. It's an absolute pleasure and I'd, I'd actually forgotten about the World Cup final until <laughs> I just remembered I hadn't I'm even sure, discussed it I'm with sure, I'm sure you have. Carl Van Rosenvelt. Yeah, we've just been chatting away about the forthcoming arrival of, of course, the legend, the Chelsea former Chelsea captain and former England captain, John Terry, who is on his way down to Barasti now. And I forgot to congratulate CVR on that barnstorming performance in the World Cup final. You didn't believe it because when we did a show together, you said the All Blacks were going to win the World Cup. I shared that sentiment. So I was surprised in the semi-final and I was also surprised as I suspect you might have been in the final as well. Yeah, I was. I, I said, if anything, I, the box by three, but I, I never, ever, ever expected that result from, from South Africa. And I kind of feel that maybe England had played their final the week before, but I think to see the South Africans coming up like that, they also seem to have played a, a, a totally different game against England, really, really uh, ran the ball a lot more. But to me, the turning point of that game was when England pressurized the line. I think they were... They had the ball for about six, seven or eight minutes and they just couldn't get through the South African defense. And the buddy that I was watching with, I had to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I was in New York trying to find a place to, to, to watch the game. Well, can you believe it? Sold out places at four o'clock in the morning. I finally, the fourth place that I knocked on, let me in. And I said, I, I feel South Africa have got that advantage. Mentally, they've just done something to, 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 to the English team. And uh, for them to kick on in that second half the way they did, unbelievable result. And uh, as I said, we'll celebrate it for the next four years. And now you're a marathon. You've got the, the full set. You've done it. Yeah, I've got the full set. 40, 45th South African to do it. So I've, I've completed Are you serious? All, yeah, I've completed all the majors. Uh, New, New York was the final one. So I've got that in the bag and yeah, very happy man. More South Africans have won Rugby World Cups than have done that. Got to be very specific when you choose these things, Robbie Greenfield. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, wow. Chris that's McCarty a steam company. Also with us here this evening, a special evening. Yep. Uh, you got to spend a bit of time with the, 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 the big man, JT, who's on his way down here to Barasti. Um, we're looking forward to having a chat with him for an hour a little later on as well. Impressed? Very impressed, Tom. I mean, there's been a lot said and written about John Terry and some of which, of course, might be fair. Some of which I think is wide of the mark and, and I can only judge John on, on what we had. Robbie and I, an hour and a half in his company yesterday, a gentleman from, from start to finish there wasn't any question that we put to him that he refused to answer very insightful very candid he got emotional at one stage as well with the uh, Moscow 2008 I daren't tell him that I'm a Manchester United fan <laughs> when he was telling yeah, you me that you didn't I remember you kept stum about <laughs> that I kept stum about that but that would have been unfair but f fantastic I, I mean really open I mean you forget that he's now Aston Villa assistant boss and yet he was only too willing to talk Chelsea he obviously talked Aston Villa but just very honest and talk. the interesting thing was he was the one that brought up the penalty miss yeah. actually off off air before we even sat down he, he said oh that that penalty i missed in in moscow and I let's thought, get this one out of the way no, 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 boys before we go that. on air <laughs> he said that and i thought oh phew we won't have to tiptoe around that one we can just steamroll yeah. in and, and ask him about that but uh, no i mean reminiscing about jose Mourinho's arrival at the club uh, about meeting roman abramovich and about how Abramovich knew more about young players coming up than most of the Chelsea squad. Uh, it was uh, a lot of insightful and, and a lot of kind of eye-opening little observations yeah. and, and little memories from And the from good John's news, the, the even better news is he is very intelligent. He, he knows his football, so there's still a litany of talking points for us today. And for anyone that did tune into that live Facebook yesterday, well worth sticking around this evening because... And I can already see from all the questions that you've jotted down, there are still so many. The Chelsea Supporters Club is in, so they'll have questions for him as well. So it's going to be a real good hour of radio from 6.30. Looking forward to that. That's from 6.30 till 7.30. Uh, John Terry is going to be live down here, Brasti. So if you are in the vicinity, do come get yourself down here and be part of that discussion. Um, why is he here? That's the one question I need to ask. A Dubai Fitness Challenge. So he's obviously it's international break. Uh, I'm sure Dean Smith, the Aston Villa boss, like for all the members of the squad, that's coaching staff as well, who are not partaking in any international football, go and enjoy yourselves. Go and get some sun on your back. And for John, this is a bit of a home away from home. Him and his wife, uh, Tony, they've been coming here for a long time. And he's come here. Someone's got wind of the fact that he's here. They've reached out to him. How would you like to be a part of this? And with his wife as well, Tony, she's actually an author. She has written a book about uh, health and well-being and the importance of working with families and friends so it all ties in nicely and again judging on yesterday he's only too willing to lend his support to the movement it's into its third year and it's fantastic to have him over here lending his support and uh, a certain Mr Lampard is also here as well really? yeah. a couple of people have bumped into him um, a couple of you people shouldn't that, have told, that, you shouldn't that, have told that, them but <laughs> you shouldn't have told <laughs> yeah. that lot Mr Lampard is here but uh, what have I you done he, Robbie what have you done he's, he's keeping a significantly lower profile than his former teammate yes he is yeah he is <laughs> 
I'm all of the Emirates boys uh, are we, we had we had a word last week, didn't we, about a certain Didier Drogba being in town. At the yeah, well, you better not tell them that. Uh, tell them the that entire well. spine of the 0-4-5 title-winning side is here. I think that's the first question for John. Is it true that Didier Drogba now lives in Dubai? We know Nicholas and Elka does. He's actually a neighbour of mine down on the palm. And can you help get him on a regular fixture on our show? Saw him yesterday, actually. Saw him down at the uh, Dubai Sports City. He was down. Yeah. His uh, his team, his, his his academy team, was playing in in a tournament down there. So he was down there whilst we were trying to play cricket <laughs> alongside him but couldn't did he, convince did he, him did he play a bit no 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 of course no. not no but his, uh, his his football team his academy team was yeah, playing over there my, the, the my experience of nicholas is he doesn't do much that you ask and plead and yeah should we leave it at that yeah probably yeah. okay <laughs> uh, you are listening to dubai i 103.8 uh, i want to get the boys thoughts on a lot of uh, sports uh, stories that are going around the grounds at the moment can we talk uh, very quickly about the euro qualifiers i mean uh, thursday night let's talk about that one very very quickly uh, obviously scotland in action and they've just scored they've just scored they've just scored scotland are indeed in front of course not much to play for when it comes to scotland steve clark he's had a real baptism of fire the former kilmarnock the former chelsea assistant boss as well lest we forget and he's blooding in a new look Scotland side there's a lot of youth to this one of course one of another Chelsea young player Billy Billy Gilmore we're looking forward to seeing what he's got in store but this is Ryan Christie this is a player who really has come to the fore he did so under Brendan Rodgers he's continued that form through with Neil Lennon at the start of this season he has scored dare I say little little memories of Archie Gemmell against Netherlands there on that left foot opened itself up (laughs) that's a random reference get very emotional over there I do I do get emotional they're, when it they're comes not to no that's that's fair as well but Scotland are in front over in Cyprus and it is Ryan Christie watch out for Ryan Christie as well because I think he's well on his way to be named and I know we're early to say this but footballer of the year in Scotland I really believe that and then I think a Premier League move for him next summer can we talk about qualifiers for a moment because uh, England beating Montenegro by seven goals on Thursday evening we've seen some massive uh, score lines as well over the last 48 hours in the European qualifiers is that good for the Euros is it good for the Euros I mean everyone in sundry I saw one tweet today saying that there, there were nations all around Europe celebrating the fact they've reached the playoffs some have qualified it's very difficult to keep up to speed with who's doing what but 7-0 it's not pretty I don't want to take anything away from England though Tom you would have watched it I'm sure I'm sure many of you here have and a lot of our listeners England were good England were at it from minute one the youngest England starting 11 in World Cup qualifying or European qualifying history I think the average age was 23 years 255 days youngest England starting 11 in 60 years they were at it and this England team I know Gareth Southgate's come in for a lot of criticism with his handling of the Raheem Sterling Joe Gomez issue but he has got that team lively they're vivacious there's an energy there's an incisiveness about them you can't help but be impressed with England despite the fact albeit Montenegro not a great side the only reason I ask that is you know you look at Spain last night seven past Malta Norway four past the Faroe Islands Denmark six past Gibraltar I mean yeah, I mean, I'm all for inclusion when it comes to qualifying things like that. But is this is this doing the small nations any justice? It's that age-old problem, though, isn't it? How do you how do you allow them to progress without? There's a lot of talk that maybe there should be a, a second tier where you have to win the yeah. right to enter into the qualifying for the European Championships, but. You're always going to get it. The Gibraltars, the Maltas, you know, they're always uh, the San Marinos. They're, they're kind of the, the sort of, they've always been the whipping boys, haven't they? And um, it, it's such a golfing class between the Spains of this world and, and those smaller nations that it's not really a surprise, but, uh, but it is disappointing from a competitive standpoint. Quick word as well on the international friendlies. We've got a couple to look forward to a little later on, but Argentina in action against Brazil down in Saudi Arabia, not a million miles away from us. And I think a couple of you boys are heading down there in the, in the next couple of weeks for a, a boxing match as well. Uh, Argentina against Brazil, I mean, obviously part of the, the global tour, as it were, of South American football. Good idea? Good good idea. I mean, Brazil, listen, they're they're like the Harlem Globetrotters, aren't they, in that regard? And and for Brazil themselves, it's a money spinner. They've probably looked at it, Tom, and, and, you know, the majority of Brazil's squad plays their football in Europe. So to actually bring them over to this part of the world is probably logistically a little bit easier than taking them back the other way. So in that regard, if they've got buy-in from the players, the players know the importance of wearing that famous yellow jersey. They know the heritage and the tradition and all the rest of it that's associated with it. So for Brazil and the FA, 
It's absolute money spinner. They were in Singapore a couple of months back, Saudi Arabia last night. They're here in Abu Dhabi or down the road in Abu Dhabi on Tuesday. It's money making. And is it all about the money? Yeah, and, and growing the brand, brand Brazil. It, it is all about that. And I'm sure they've sat down and looked at it. And it probably is just easier than bringing them all back to Brazil, whether that's Brasilia, whether it's Sao Paulo, whether it's Rio. Take them on the take them on this tour, and you know all these fans of Brazil. And Robbie said in the week that they're everyone's second team, and they kind of are in that regard. So to bring them around the world and allow us to see them up close can only be a good thing. Not everyone's second team. Apparently, your second team is Chelsea. Is that right? No, 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 no. <laughs> my, you know this. My second team's Brighton. And you know for yeah, good reason. And it was it was Swansea not so long ago. Although I am sure. liking Chelsea. Ch- it changes sure season season, doesn't this it? This time last week you said that your second team was no, Chelsea. I said Chelsea are likeable again, Tom. Don't put words in my mouth. You've got to keep this. Austin's <laughs> <laughs> has been somewhat forgotten. Uh, as yeah, really. yeah. Well, they finished third bottom as well. So <laughs> they did, yeah. Fourth they've, bottom. They, they've struggled they're, since. They're definitely suffering since GP. Since GP left. <laughs> went, went over to the UK. Swansea are str- strangely flourishing. I think that may due, <laughs> be due to the groundwork that GP left. But, uh, Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, Brighton is the uh, the second team, but yeah, you know, I'll whisper it quietly. In fact, I won't whisper it quietly. I said it to JT yesterday. This mob here, Chelsea, they're actually likable all of a sudden in the last few months. Why? Just because the, the brand of football that they're playing, it's not the kind of brash, in-your-face style that it once was. They've got a nucleus of homegrown players. Mason Mount, I think, is a wonderful footballer. Tammy Abraham, you've got Tamori, you've got now this 19-year-old Rhys James who's come in. And Frank's got them playing as good a football from an attacking standpoint. Still think he's worrying about the balance of the team. But going forward, they are as good. Not quite at the City, Liverpool, not quite there yet. But in the games that I'm seeing, and you have to just look at the, the goals they're scoring, they're scoring goals for fun. And there is a real vibrancy in Mason Mount for me. I think England, Delhi Alley. If I'm Delhi Alley, I'm worried right now because forget your James Madison's. It's Mason Mount who's in possession of that number 10 jersey and may well be for the next decade. Are, are you worried if you're Harry Kane? Well, he scored his hat trick, didn't he? No, he, he and besides, he but I mean, Tammy Abram, I think he's pushing him quite hard at the he, moment he is, too. And that's good. And for Gareth Southgate, absolutely, it's important that they push in. And Harry, your skipper, but the fact he's captain. I still think he's probably the first name on the team sheet because of his captaincy, because of his goals record. I mean, he, make no mistake about it, is going to surpass Wayne Rooney as the country's top goal scorer. Whether Marcus Rashford or maybe Tammy will catch up on him over the next decade, I'm sure in the case of Marcus, he probably will. But yeah, I think Tammy's there learning his trade. Harry's still the main man. And how, how potentially good is Tammy? Well, you're seeing it already. I mean, I hate to roll this stat out, but Marcus Rashford signed a 250 grand a week deal at Manchester United not so long ago, and yet Tammy Abraham, in mid-November, has already matched his best-ever Premier League goals haul of 10. And we're only 12 but, games but, but, in. But He's got 10 and 12. But people often forget the season that he had last year with Aston 26. Villa. I mean, he, 26 he, goals at Aston Villa last season. 26. In the Championship, he scored goals for fun at Bristol City. Didn't quite work out from him at Swansea in the little spell he had there. But he's been scoring goals at a decent level for the last couple of years. He's still a young man. And the interesting thing about Chelsea with the transfer ban, and something that uh, John Terry said yesterday, was that he actually said that the, cha- the transfer ban, in a perverse kind of way, has actually helped yeah. Frank Lampard, not hindered him because it's it's basically forced his hand. Yeah. He's, he's had to go with youth. He's had to develop this policy. He might have been loath to do that. He might have wanted to do that had he not had the transfer ban, but he might have also felt a bit of pressure and a bit of obligation to go out and make a few signings as well, and who, who then have to bed in. So I think uh, one, one of the points that John Terry made yesterday was that even uh, if the ban is upheld in January, a lot of fans would like to see a continuation of the transfer ban while this new team <laughs> finds its feet it's it's bizarre but suddenly chelsea are no longer the kind of the sort of the the, the school the school ground bullies really which is what they used to be that that was always the perception that they would go out and they would buy heavy and they would outspend everyone else and and they've been surpassed by by other clubs now they don't have the spending power of, of Manchester City for example or Manchester United for one thing I matter. find really interesting about Chelsea and I, I mentioned it to Chris last week during the grill as well was this whole the development of players you know and the fact that, 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 that Frank is, is, is willing to stick by his guns you know he came in for a lot of criticism first couple of weeks of the season yeah. for, for, for the youngsters that he was bringing in from the championship and were they good enough were they Premier League players as well and, 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 and let's also have a quick word about Pulisic as well. I mean, a, a man that he's thrown a huge amount of support behind when he first came into the Chelsea team. A lot of people were like, 
Is he? Is he that good? Yeah. Is he that good? I mean, not of him now. Uh, and he's taking his time with him as well. He started on the first couple uh, and then he went cold turkey on Christian yeah. and there was some suggestion that Pulisic isn't happy, that maybe he was agitating. And what has he done? He brings him back, he gets the hat-trick at Burnley a few weeks back and uh, he's kicked on. And, you know, I, I look at Chelsea and a, a lot of my mates will say, oh, the squad isn't that great. I think it's a load of nonsense. You've got Tammy Abraham, Batshuayi and Giroud backing up the youngster. Pulisic, Callum Hudson-Odoi, they've got him to sign a new five-year deal. And yet he's not really been integrated into the team. He's coming off the bench. You've still got Villian, who's now wearing the number 10 shirt and looks as if he's loving life again under Frank. We're not even talking Pedro. We've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek to come back in. Ross Barkley. I mean, the options that the guy's got, the squad is far better than an awful lot of people will tell you. I will test your knowledge, Chris, because I know you, you your knowledge runs deep when it comes to football. Can you remember the last time a team had an influx of so many young players and had success this early? And I know they haven't had ultimate success yet, but they're certainly on the right track. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to recall, you can go all the way back to well, the, the well, kids of, of I'll, 1990. I'll stop you right there and say Leicester City, one place above them in the table. Ben Chilwell, youngster. James Madison, youngster. Wilfred Ndidi, 21 years of age. Harvey Barnes. You know, equally, if we're appraising Chelsea and Frank... And it's the loving again for Brendan Rodgers. But equally, you just have to look at... I think the average age of that Leicester 11 the other day was 24, I think it was. Which is, if not on a par, it may even be younger than Chelsea. So that's where you need to look at. There's another team, and I think that's the beauty of the Premier League right now. You've got the top two, I think still far and away above the rest, City and Liverpool. Then you've got these two, Leicester and Chelsea, two young British managers with a young nucleus of young British talent, which is ever so exciting. Then you've got your Spurs, who are kind of struggling a little bit. I still love Poch. But then you've got United and Arsenal, who are just are, are, are a long way back and I think are still struggling to, A, find their identity. I think United have maybe shifted and changed their recruitment policy to reflect where Solskjaer wants to take them, but still two big clubs that are struggling struggling to, to really get back into that top four. You're listening to Dubai Eye with a 3.8. Listening to The Grill, we're live down here at Barasti. We have got the UAE chapter of the Chelsea Supporters Club with us here up uh, here on the rooftop down here at Barasti. Why? Because one of their greats, Chelsea's most successful captain of all time, is en route. We've just had it confirmed that he's on his way into the venue. So if you're a Chelsea fan, if you're an England fan, if you're a Villa fan... Get yourself down here. Be part of it. Your questions to him in a few moments' time. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Game on, indeed. Uh, let's talk football because we've got one game underway at the moment. It is Cyprus against Scotland in the European Championship qualifying. And our resident Scott, Chris McCarty, is watching this one for us. Yeah, we've got 25 minutes on the clock over in Cyprus. This an early kickoff this evening, getting this one done and dusted before the bigger fish take to the field a little later. The big one, of course, the Netherlands over in the Northern Ireland. That'll be a good game, Germany. They're taking on Belarus. I can tell you that Scotland lead by a goal to nil, and it's a real good goal as well from the Celtic midfielder, Ryan Christie. He's come into his own in the last 12 months. He had a loan spell up in Aberdeen, working under Derek McInnes, and we've just seen Cyprus test the hands of the Scotland goalkeeper I'm not quite sure maybe it's Alan McGregor who's in goals I'll double check that in just a second but it was a fine finish in fact it's David Marshall the, the former Hull City but, uh, goalkeeper in bins for Scotland but Ryan Christie bends one into the top corner it's a great finish it evoked some memories of Archie Gamel all those years back against the Dutch and I am clutching at straws with that one, given the fact that Scotland are going nowhere next summer. 25 minutes on the clock, it's Cyprus nil, Scotland won. It's not that often, is it, that we get in bins and Archie Gable in the same <laughs> sentence as well. You know, look at that, he's getting all, he's yeah, getting all misty, getting misty eyes. His jumpers for goalposts next. <laughs> I tell you though, Mr Terry, I'm sure we'll have one eye on this game because uh, John McGinn, Aston Villa's roving midfielder, he's starting for Scotland this evening and he was very complimentary of John on yesterday's show. John McGinn has made his way into many a fantasy football team. He has. Yes, he has. John McGinn, 25 years of age, celebrated his birthday last week. There's tennis to look forward to as well, Tom, in a few moments' time because, and this is going to be a good one, this, it is a rematch of the Dubai Duty Free Tennis Championships final from uh, 
early March of this year, which was won by Roger Federer. That, of course, was his 100th ATP victory. He's moved on a few since then, has the great Swiss maestro. He beat Novak Djokovic in probably his best match of the year, Chris. Would you agree with that? Yo, in terms of performance, the man was absolutely flawless. Tim Henman's called it one of his greatest ever I mean, he was flawless. His serving was absolutely brilliant. He served an absolute bucket load of aces. And Novak Djokovic, so tenacious, so competitive, was never in the game. Um, he, of course, in being dispatched from the tournament, now seeds the number one ranking at the end of the season to Rafa Nadal, who is also out. So it's now a case of Stefanos Tsitsipas, who's been on great form, taking on Roger Federer in the semi-finals of the ATP finals over in London at the Do Arena. And that starts in about 13 minutes' time. So we'll keep an eye on live action of that one as it, as it progresses. Can I ask you about Tsitsipas? The, the, the fact that he's done so well in this tournament, the fact that he's done so well this season, has Tsitsipas arrived? Ah, it's a good question. I mean... What is arriving? Is it winning a Grand Slam? Is it winning a tournament? I mean, uh, he's definitely put himself in that next-gen conversation. You've got Daniel Medvedev, who's you probably got, had the best hard-court season of any of yeah. the players. You've got team. You've got Dominic team who's been around a while, yeah. who's made a couple of you, French you, Open finals. You've got Zverev. Zverev, again, has, has been around in terms of a, an ATP tournament winner. He's been around a while. He's still young. He's not challenged as we thought he might on, at the Grand Slam level. Exactly. Stefanos Tsitsipas is, is a, a, a very, very exciting player. He's got a very unique style. We saw that in Dubai. He's not the, um, he's not the most conventional of players. He's got a, a, quite a strange service action, and, and he's got quite, a, quite an unconventional technique. But he's got flair. He's, a, he's competitive. Um, he's got brilliant sort of game management. He's extremely consistent. He hits the ball hard, as they all do. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a real talent. So I think we're just waiting. We're on the cusp now of with Federer at 38 going on 39, with Djokovic and Nadal perhaps not as consistent, even though they have won the four majors up for grabs this season. And, and that's the big point that Chris McCarty made as we're looking for this breakthrough from someone. We're still waiting for a Zverev, a Medvedev or a Tsitsipas to actually step up and win a Grand Slam. And I think it probably will happen you, next year. You can even throw Kyrgios into, in, into that conversation. Yeah. But the, to me, the thing is that everybody, we all speak about these players and yeah, they're coming through and yeah, they're consistent. But as soon as there's something big to win, it gets won by the, either Djokovic, well, Nadal or, 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 or Federer. That was going to be my next question to you, because I look at these men's uh, single semi-finals for the ATP finals for the year. Tsitsipas, Federer, team, Zverev. Um, are, we, are we talking about the Zverevs, the teams and the Tsitsipases only when the big four put an injury or, 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 or aren't able to complete the tournament because we've still got that big four who have dominated tennis for, for so long and still are dominating tennis and and when they sort of go you know what I can't complete this tournament or I've got an injury or whatever then we're seeing these guys come into the four or and that's my that, that, that was that was why my question to Robbie is this is this it's about turning around going you know what I'm not I'm not a result of somebody pulling out of a tournament and therefore um, going into the into the semi-final or final I am deserved of that place. I just think we haven't seen it yet. I think the problem with, with, with Roger... Well, we have. We, we, uh, no, but, but I think the problem with, with, with Roger and Novak and, 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 and Nadal is the draw has to go their way. And what I mean by go their way, they need enough recovery time for them to really get to that latter end of the tournament. And if it all plays into their favor as such from a resting perspective, a recovery perspective, I don't believe these younger guys can beat them yet. The only time I find is if, for example, they get into a five-setter or they struggle to get one, through one or two games, whatever the case is, then they seem to suffer at the latter stages. But if everything goes according to plan for them, it's very, very difficult to beat these guys. And I still don't believe this call it younger generation or whatever you want to call it has actually stepped up to take over the mantle. To me, it's still those big three that control tennis. Well, I take your point. Um, but it's not a case of just beating one of them. In a Grand Slam, you've generally got to beat two, if not three of them. Yeah. And that's the problem. You know, we've seen them have occasional wins, but to win an Australian Open or to win a US Open, you've got to beat Nadal and Djokovic, or you've got to beat Federer and Nadal. And over five sets, when these guys are prioritizing, for them it's legacy, for them it's about the Grand Slam record, they're in this three-way tussle. It was an interesting interview they did at the start of the week yeah. when Federer said, um, we'll either all stop or we'll all carry on. Um, and I think Federer being five years older than both Nadal and Djokovic, or at least Djokovic, uh, you know, you'd expect him to be the one to retire first, even though he's completely evergreen. Um, 
you know, I'd, I'd be surprised if Djokovic and Nadal go on to, to, to late 30s. I'd be very surprised if, if either of them do that. But yeah, when one of them does retire, it'll make it a little bit easier for the other one. And Federer won't want to retire because he's on 20, Nadal's on 19, Djokovic is on 16. They're all breathing down his neck. He wants to get to 21. He wants that buffer. And that will inspire him to, to prioritise these events. And as you say, while the ATP regular ATP events, which are best of three sets, they're, they're a one-week tournament, they are less prioritised by these players and more opportunities for the likes of Tsitsipas and, and Zverev to win them. It's that much harder for them to, to get past them in a Grand Slam. I, I fully agree with Robbie. And I think what's going to be interesting to see, next year come the French Open. Come on, Rafa has got to go in as a favourite. If there's one out of the four that he can win, it's the French Open. If he wins the French Open th that year, that means he ties with Federer on 20 or from a Grand Slam perspective. It will be interesting to see what Federer's mindset will be if you continue to kick on to try and get that, that, that 21st. Well, he's already said he wants to play Tokyo 2020. He wants to go for the Olympic gold, which he's never won. Singles, Olympic gold. So he's targeting that. That's in the summer of next year, of course. So he's going to play all of the Grand Slams next year. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Whether he then retires, I think that's the big question mark. After Tokyo, after the US Open, can we really see him playing Wimbledon when he's 40? I mean, it's possible. He but can. <laughs> it's possible. I know I you wanted mind. to. I wouldn't mind. I, I, I know you to wanted continue. to. Yeah, I mean, when he goes, honestly, when that guy announces retirement, uh, the, the flags need to fly at half-mast. <laughs> it's going to be a sad day in sport. It really is. But, um, no, I mean, we're going to miss them so much. We need to cherish them while they're still here because uh, they are just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the, the, the Grand Slam tools that they've, they've accumulated, are, it's, it's, they've redefined what's possible in the world of tennis. And, you know, I, I think I've got a sneaky suspicion they're going to finish on 20 apiece. I think Nadal and Federer, whether Djokovic can, can win four more, that's much more open to debate. But I think Nadal, Federer, I think they'll, they're going to finish both on 20. Tell you what, you get it all here on the grill. You get, you get Chris McCartney getting misty out of it, Archie Gamal, and, uh, and, and, and all in binge and everything like that. And you get Robbie, uh, Robbie Greenfield getting misty eyed about the, 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 the old school of tennis as well, making way. You know what that cheer is for? It's for a legend of the game. Uh, we will be introducing him to you in just a few moments' time. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. Let's get a score update for you then from the Scotland Euro qualifier. Cyprus taking on Scotland early kickoff. Chris McCartney, our resident Scot, is watching this yeah, one. Yeah, 35 minutes gone, Tom. It remains Cyprus nil, Scotland 1. It is not John McGinn on the score sheet, and that is important for a reason that will be revealed shortly. It's Ryan Christie, a man who I think's got a very big future in the game. The Celtic midfielder has made it Cyprus nil, Scotland 1. There is a sense of anticipation up here at Barasti, up here on the rooftop. You're listening to the Grill. We're live down here at Barasti, where the game is always on. And we've got the UAE chapter of the Chelsea Supporters Clubbers with us here. With good reason. Now, here's a name that you might know and a voice that you might know. Mario Volpe, friend of the show, uh, is with us here. Uh, John Terry, explain to me what John Terry means to Chelsea fans. Well, he is Mr. Chelsea, of course. I mean, look at him. He's come all this way just to see us. And we've come in droves. So thank you very much, John. You've, saw, you've, saw, you've, you've ruined the surprise for us now because it's over to Chris McCarty to in introduce a very special guest. Yeah, well, this man needs no introduction, especially to the Chelsea fans that are in here. Debut in 1998. It was Gianluca Vialli that gave him that. I think it was a League Cup game way back in October of 1998. He played for the club all the way through until 2017. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's this man. And there's a set piece, there's going to be a chance. It's Terry's header, and it's in! Partey, it towards Terry! John Terry for Chelsea! The captain, the leader, has equalised for Chelsea! It is the captain, it is the leader, it is the legend, it is Mr John Terry and he joins us live at Barasti. And John, we say a very good evening to you, my friend. Good evening all, thank you for the turn out. An amazing turnout down here. I've got to probably apologise, first and foremost, John, because you've seen Robbie and I more in the last 24 hours <laughs> than you've seen your own missus, so we apologise for that. I will. <laughs> Please do. But listen. I'm just pleased he turned up after yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that, we'll, we'll take that as a compliment, I think. But, but, John, listen, first and foremost, let's a quick word to these boys, because wherever you travel all around the world, the Chelsea fans, they're out in force for you. Humbling, 
Yeah, very. Um, goosebumps, actually. You know, just hearing, obviously, the, the soundtrack then, but obviously seeing everyone here getting kind of your name sung, that kind of thing, it's, um, yeah, very makes me feel very proud, actually. So I appreciate everyone's support and the continued support since Frank's in charge as well. Yeah, so many questions, and I know Tom Scott and, and Carl and, and Robbie, and we're going to get onto the floor because I'm sure a lot of Chelsea fans do as well. But the, the fact that you've moved on, you're now an Aston Villa man, lest we forget. But you you spoke eloquently and at length yesterday about Chelsea. It's a club that will remain in your heart until the day you pass on. Oh, forever. Chelsea's my life and has been. It's it's kind of all I've known since the age of 14. It's at the time of when I was 14, I had the opportunity to sign for Arsenal, Man United. Uh, some some big teams, West Ham. Um, big teams. Uh, <laughs> when, when sorry, Tom. Sorry, you said Tom. that. Yeah, Tom's not happy there. Look, when, <laughs> but around that time, I had a lot of clubs after me. That the moment I walked into Chelsea Football Club, I knew that was the place for me. And um, yeah, funny story actually. Before I signed, I was due to sign on the pitch. My dad wanted me to sign for Man United. He was a big Man United fan growing up, and he refused to come on the pitch with me. So still in in the frame is a picture of me and my mum signing because my dad. Didn't want, didn't want me to sign for Chelsea, but I knew from day one Chelsea was... Why? Why Chelsea? It, it just felt right. There was people like Graham Ricks around the club, Glenn Hoddle. Um, it just felt right to me, and I loved the way we played. I enjoyed the training. I enjoyed the lads. I just knew it was right. I love Stamford Bridge, and uh, it served me well. It's probably the best decision I've ever made. <laughs> Yourself at Chelsea, Totti... Uh, I guess Lionel Messi at Barcelona. Giggs. Are we looking at the last of the one club legends? Do you think in, in the modern game, John, that the one club legend is, is essentially dying out? I think so. You, yeah, you've probably missed Stevie as well being being one of those of course, as well. But yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not not too sure we're going to see it. You know, players staying at clubs for 15, 20 years. Um, I think the volatility around managers leaving, different managers coming in, liking certain players and the way they play. Players probably getting more and more power now. Whereas when I was playing, Mourinho was in charge. That was it. Simple as that. Now players have got a lot more power and uh, dictate a lot of things now. Settle one thing for us, because Manchester City, they came calling 2009? 9-10, yeah. Did, did that, how far did that go? Give us a bit of an insight into just how close you came actually to leaving Chelsea at the time. No, I never come, no. I never, never come close. They did come calling in 2009 <laughs> They made uh, they made an official bid of 29 million. Um, I told Chelsea, I told Roman from day one. They obviously made me aware of the offer. I said, listen, I do not ever want to leave this football club. Made that clear. Um, I said, I'd love to sign the extension. I want to stay for the rest of my career. Can we do that? So we sat down, had a grown-up conversation, and um, I said, listen, it's obviously different. If if the manager or the owner you don't want me here, then obviously I've got to look elsewhere. But I hope that's not the case, and I ended up staying for for the rest of my career. We're going to get to some of the questions. I'm sure a lot of people here are going to have a lot of questions for you, John. But the reason you're here, Dubai Fitness Challenge, you've just come up. You're, you're in your, your sports workout gear and you've just done a CrossFit workout. I mean, we're feeling a little bit sedentary sat <laughs> yeah. here. Chris McCarty, I've not I'm done, not sure he's well, done a workout in 2019, let I'm, alone. I'm hoping you guys have done your 30 minutes a day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've just covered one of you. I've just done an hour. So <laughs> <laughs> you've covered us both, John. <laughs> but, but you enjoyed it, the Buy Fitness Challenge and getting involved in that? It's been really good, actually. I'm over for that, obviously, and the concept is fantastic. I mean, I was there yesterday. It was packed yesterday. Loads of kids, loads of families involved, and it is 30 minutes out of your day to, to kind of get fit, get active. It's, it's a really good concept and works, works really well. Yeah, I, I want it if I can, it still stick because I've got an awful lot of eyeballs from Chelsea Football Club. When you look back, John, and I know we touched on an awful lot of this yesterday, I want to try and move the conversation into kind of different areas. You said, and again, it's your words, Jose for you, you owe your career mm. to Jose Mourinho. For these guys in here tonight, what made Jose the special one? Well, I think you'd agree he's probably the best manager we've ever had. Um, I think when he arrived at the club, we'd always, you know, we, we had players around the time. It was he brought a, a few new signings, but when he came in, he changed the, he changed the way we fought at that football club as players, as supporters, and, and we got used to winning. And pretty much after that first season, we come back the following season, and we was pretty much still kind of going. We're the champions last year. The, the club had put all photos up around the dressing room and everything. He come in day one and was like, no. That was last year. We go again this year, and the mindset of him, just his winning mentality, was was unbelievable. And that just that just filtered down the whole football club from the academy. The academy started winning. We started seeing winners from the age of eight, nine, ten, eleven, and that winning mentality he he installed in our football club, and that will remain forever. 
The winning mentality is one thing. It was Robbie that had the start to end all starts yesterday. You've had 11 permanent managers. Mm. If we throw in Graham Ricks, Ray Wilkins and Steve Holland, you had 14 different men at various junctures as your gaffer, mm. as your boss. And yet Chelsea Football Club continued to win. Champions League, Europa League, five Premier League titles, five FA Cups, throw in the three League Cups <laughs> as well. Flies in the eye of everything that we as football fans are told. Fergie, longevity. Arsene Wenger, longevity. That's the way you run a club. So how did it work for you guys? How did that work? Well, I think we was lucky at the time because when I talk about Jose as well, we brought some big players and some big personalities in that dressing room. And when you're a big manager like him, you can deal with that because obviously players are opinionated. I think no matter what manager come and went and left the football club, there was still that core of players within that. We spoke about the spine of it yesterday. Peter Cech, myself, Lamps, Didier Ballet, Michael Essien. Actually, we could we could you know talk for hours here on, on players and individuals and their big characters. But we had a really good core of honest, hard-working individuals. And no matter who come or who went, that still remained on a daily basis. And that was very vital to us. When the, the club changed managers, because you said something interesting yesterday, that the cultures that Jose instilled stayed throughout pretty much, despite the, the quite regular turnover of managers. Did they come in and they wanted just to change everything and put their own style? Because there's a lot of pressure on a new manager to, to put his mark on the club early on. And, and did that happen or was it very much, you know, we continue, we, we, we have this core, we have this spine of players, we'll, we'll continue the way we are? Well, I think we spoke about Carlo Ancelotti coming in yesterday and he'd come from, from Italy that was very defensive, very tactical training sessions. They used to train at two o'clock in the afternoon when the sun's out. He wanted to train later, he wanted to do a lot of tactics. He actually came to us and said, listen, how you find it? We were going, Gaffer, it's too much. You know, we normally train in the morning in England. We don't like to do too many tactics. This is, and he adjusted a little bit. He obviously still kept his his fault and the way he wanted to work and, and work the group of players but he adapted to that group of players and I think that was that was very important I think that's why he was so successful I think the ones that come in Andre Villas-Boas being one of them come in and was like I'm in charge now we're doing it my way with some big characters it's difficult you have to win them over win them over first and um, yeah he didn't do that John you speak about the big characters and the big personalities in the change room you as a captain did you have a special way of working with certain players like for example you'd have a more harder approach on Ashley Cole and maybe a more calmer approach with with Drogba how did you get the best out of the players and how did you figure out special ways of working with all these different players as a captain yeah well I was lucky I grew up in a, in a generation where you could pretty much be honest and, um, and and truthful with players I think nowadays it's slightly different Obviously, certain individuals, I used to find that people like Ash, Ricky Cavallio, Paolo for it, the players at the back in the midfield were pretty much, you could get into them a little bit. The forward players who were kind of confidence players, they're wingers, yeah. they could come off after 60, 70 minutes, which they do most games, and things would be going well, but they're more confidence. Joe Cole was one, he needed to be told that he was, he was brilliant, hardworking, you know, needed arm around his shoulder. Lamps, you could scream and shout at him half-time, Didier the same as well. We could all pretty much be honest with each other, and I think that was so important to us. I want to take you back to something you said there, and maybe it's a geeky question, but you said there that Andre Villas-Boas, that you've got to earn that respect. You have got to come in at this football club, and you've got to prove that you're our gaffer. How does a manager do that? And at what point do you as players turn around and say, he ain't got it for me? Pretty much day one. <laughs> you do though because listen, listen. Players, players are really judgmental, and yeah. when you're following big managers, it's, it's difficult to come in and make that impression. So some come in and try and overdo it. I think it's important. You know, it takes time to kind of install that, and you've got to, you know, slowly but surely, just install the way you want to play. That that's not going to happen overnight. And sometimes, just because managers have changed, doesn't mean to say it's it's not been working. What's going on? You know, there could be some really good things that have been happening. But when you get a manager come in, just go right. Let's forget everything you've done. We've had success for the last ten years doing ninety percent of that. So it's not all right. It's not all wrong. But let's not completely change it all. A question we didn't ask you yesterday. Your favourite match in a Chelsea, a Chelsea shirt, which, which was the one, if you had to pick one out, that was, that was the, the, the best one for you? It, it, actually, it actually was. It actually was, yeah. I, I get asked this a lot, actually. And the fact I wasn't playing, I was suspended for the final. The, the fact that I see, I see Chelsea support with my teammates, that I felt I'd kind of let them down from Moscow, that kind of thing. I, I look at it and go, that was the most pleasing game as a, as a fan, as a player, while I walk away. And people go, but you didn't play in that game. How can... I'm just like Chelsea through and through. And that just me. I wanted to retire, making sure that we won the Champions League. And thankfully we did. 
Now, now, John, I, I've watched Backer. I'm, I'm the kind of sad man that sits and watches that whole interview that we did yesterday, and you got emotional mm. yesterday yeah. talking about Moscow. Mm. And I don't want to maybe go over that old. I, I don't want you maybe yeah. tearing up in front of all of these crew here. But the 2008 moment, it, it stuck with you, and the comments that everyone has said to me this morning that has watched that is. Wow, it resonated with me at 3, 4 in the morning. You yeah. admitted that you'll wake up, you're yeah. startled, you still replay that yeah. moment. Yeah, listen, the, the worst moment. I think you have to go through them experiences that, that serve you well later on. And we spoke about the Champions League being the hardest, for me, the hardest competition domestically to go and win. We needed some luck along the way, which we had. There was probably years before that we deserved to win it. We didn't, probably two or three times before. And... Yeah, it still obviously hurts. I did, you know, get slightly emotional yesterday. And it will stay with me forever, but it's part of my journey. There's been a lot more ups than there has been downs, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. We love you, John. <laughs> yeah, the Chelsea fans still do. Listen, John Terry is here. He's going to be with us for the next kind of 48 minutes or so. Any questions? Well, we'll keep them for maybe half an hour of that 40. If you've got any questions, 4001. I know the guys have got plenty of questions here for them. When we come back, we're in conversation with the captain, the legend, the leader that is, Mr. John Terry. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Tweet the team at Dubai Eye Sport. You are listening to the grill. It's a very special grill as well. We're live down here at Barasti where the game is always on. We'll give you updates from the Euro uh, qualifiers in just a few moments' time. But we've got a very special guest with us here. And we've got lots of very special guests because we've got the uh, UAE chapter of the Chelsea Supporters Club with us here tonight. I don't know how I've drawn the short straw. I've got to get the questions from the floor in just a few moments' time. Uh, whilst we let you think about your sensible questions for a couple of minutes, let's get back to Chris McCarty. Yeah, we're in conversation with John Terry. He will be with us for the next half hour or so. He joined us for an hour, an hour and a half it was yesterday. We thank John so much for giving up so much time. I, I want to take this conversation in a different route, if I may, John, because you said here you're humbled by these fans being here. We've seen an incident in the Premier League in the last fortnight involving Granite Xhaka. Okay, who's booed off, I think it was just after the hour mark at Crystal Palace, and he's thrown an expletive in the direction of his own fans. As a player, as a former captain, do you have any sympathy with Granite whatsoever? We know that he was, there was some stuff said, deplorable things said about his family. There's an awful lot that was going and being said on social media. When you look at that from afar now, what's your thoughts, first and foremost, on it? Oh, when I see it, first of all, my first thought was get off the pitch get off yeah. the pitch the team needs you off the pitch it's like I hate seeing players when they get substituted they kind of throw down their arms and kind of all the pizza makers start coming up and all of that kind of stuff first and foremost get off the pitch and deal with it in the dressing room I think nowadays it's a bit a bit it's a little bit of a bravado now where they go oh, I'm kind of and I don't like that to be honest but that needs to be dealt with in the dressing room with the players I think before it before you leave the stadium deal with it there and then then you've got a plan a structure of what's going to what's going to be said in the press and move forward like that but Nowadays, it's, um, yeah, it's difficult for them. The other thing that, that has dominated conversation this season, uh, we didn't ask you about this yesterday, but VAR, um, it seems to have been uh, decided by, no by, by, by the general kind of footballing kind of commentary that VAR is not good for the game of football. Even if, even if results, even if officiating is becoming a little bit more accurate, what it's doing is it's, it's, it's taking some of the fluidity and the, and the spontaneity out of the game. Do you agree with that? Do you do you think that there is a place for VAR? Do you think they should just rip it up and, and get rid of it? I, I can't see that happening. What's your take on it and why perhaps it's it's going wrong at the moment? Yeah, I'm not a fan, to be honest. Um, I have to say, I don't think it started too well, um, which I don't think is going to continue uh, to get any better, to be honest. I think with this, like goal line technology, it's either over or it's not. With If, if it's an off, offside decision, we see the game the weekend, I think it was against Spurs, where the yeah. big toe... But to be fair, if they're going to go down that route of going, he's a big toe offside, you're offside. So it, it's clear cut. I think now we're seeing the handballs and them situations there. I'm just like, there's still too much kind of uh, different point don't, of view. Yeah, yeah. That is, it, it's, it's too mixed for me and I don't like it to be honest. Even as coaches now, you watch players when they score a goal, everyone's looking round like that, looking at the big screen. No one really celebrates. As coaches, we stand on the sideline going, is it a goal? Yeah. Asking the fourth official, and I just think we're losing that. The reason why the whole world loves football is because of the passion and the, the excitement of it. Uh, football's a game of opinions. That's why you have five pundits in a studio. Everyone's debating. Everyone's got a different view after the game. 
and it seems like the opinions have just been moved from on the pitch mm. to to the VAR room yeah. and the referee in, in the case of the Premier League is, is not directly involved with what they're doing so it's kind of refereeing by committee isn't it yeah well completely agree that the, the man in the middle of the pitch should be in charge he should have the final say and the screen on the side of the pitch is there. Just if, if I'm the man, if I'm the referee in charge of that game, I want to be the one coming over, showing the supporters that I've made that decision. I'm happy with it, and I'm going back to it. Not that it's left to those in the studio. Give the man on in, in the middle of the pitch responsibility. Because as players, after a game, we have to go and face the press. As managers and coaches, we have to go and face the press and and talk about our decisions, substitutions, that kind of thing. So. I would be actually for the referees coming to do an interview after the game, looking at it, because what happens with a referee, they go in their dressing room, they've got the screen, they watch replays, then they write their report, it's too easy for them. Actually, we know we know refs are going to make mistakes on penalty decisions or fouls or red cards, yellow cards. Get them in front of the TV and go, yeah, I've made an honest mistake there. And as supporters, you go, fair enough. Speaking of referees, you, you said yesterday that Jose Mourinho left no stone unturned. I'm sure Goose Hiddink, likewise. I'm a big fan of Carlo Angelotti as well. Were you always aware who the referee was for your games at weekends? Was a little kind of note passed to say this is what you maybe could have a quick word before a match was any of that discussed with Josie as captain as captain he would make me aware if they had kids if their names he knew absolutely everything so you how's the kids honestly how's Paul how's he doing he he knew everything honestly he would he would make him feel welcome at uh, Stamford Bridge when they arrived. He w- he was a million miles in front of everyone else what they was doing. But we had ball boys on the training pitch every day, so ball went out of play, balls would come back in instantly. You know he was just making sure that we was we, uh, everyone knew exactly what they was doing. Ball boys on the match day behind the goals when Mourinho was in charge there. If we're winning, take your time, walk. <laughs> all, all of but all of that stuff. If we're losing, right, you'd see you'd see him speed up quickly, throw one in. They'd have another ball. They'd use that one. He no stone was ever unturned of him. He's, he was the best by far. Can I ask you a quick question about leadership? Because I think we're all agreed that you are a great leader. Have been a great leader throughout your entire career. Agreed. Um, instant at Chelsea last season. Kepa refusing to leave the pitch. Mauricio Sarri. Oh, that was your question. Sorry, Mario. Mario. Um, has, has the role of the captain diminished in recent times? Is the role of the captain still? As, 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 as key as it always has been? Yeah, I, I think it is obviously very important, I think. But again, I grew up with the likes of Mourinho. So if, if the managers, he would have made him come off the pitch. As a captain, I wouldn't have had to do anything because he would have had him off the pitch. If he wanted him off the pitch, Jose Mourinho would have either come on the pitch or done something to get him <laughs> off the pitch. It's as simple as that. And, you know, a lot of stuff was left to myself, Frank Didier, to deal with in the dressing room, which we did. But any time that he felt we needed to, he would... Over, overstep all of us uh, on the, the subject of Josie he's been out of the job now for a while he, he's on Sky Sports he's entertaining the masses yeah. where, where is his next job well, we're hearing whispers of Arsenal well he is putting the other pundits to shame we're hearing Arsenal I mean you're still in touch with him John where are you <laughs> what, what are you hearing I'm too scared of him to even ask him that question <laughs> I don't know listen I think we'd all love to see him back in the game um, probably not at Arsenal to be honest because I'm, I'm sure he turned things around there but um, no listen he's one of the best for sure but um, he's been great entertainment on TV that's for sure at the moment but uh, he'll be back in the game I'm sure of that what about Frank your good friend you said on our show yesterday the best player that you've played with uh, undoubtedly best player in fact you said I think we asked you and you said Frank Chelsea's because history, yeah. Ch- Chelsea's history what a job he's doing you're still in touch with Frank you, you still stay in close contact still in touch with Lamps I was just saying then we've actually got a WhatsApp group chat that uh, when we kind of retired all of us we kind of set it up and said listen let's make sure we stay in touch and we're always kind of texting on that and making sure that we kind of meet when we can have a dinner that kind of thing but um, he's been unbelievable so far and um, I'm just so happy that he's been given the chance at the club and giving the youngsters a chance more from John as we go yeah big round of applause for that a lot of questions out there for you John 7 o'clock has ticked around stay with us we're in conversation with John Terry this is the grill get involved with Dubai Eye on Facebook there's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.